Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from Gadigal Land. This is ABC News Daily. Fifty years ago, psychedelic drugs were successfully used to treat mental illness. That is, until politicians stepped in and banned them. But soon, Australia will lead the world in legalising the use of drugs like MDMA and psilocybin, which is found in magic mushrooms, to treat patients. Today, a leading researcher on the incredible success of the drugs in trials and how they work. My name is David Nutt. I'm a psychiatrist and professor of neuropsychopharmacology at Imperial College London. Professor Nutt, I want to talk to you about the use of psychedelic substances as medicine, how they work, how it's controlled, the benefits of it in a moment. But I think it's really interesting to unpack the history of this first, because it's by no means a new idea. Well, Psychedelic drugs like peyote and magic mushrooms and ayahuasca have been used for thousands of years. But in medicine, the, the um, real breakthrough came in the 1950s when uh, Sando, the pharmaceutical company in, in Switzerland, who employed a man called Hoffman, who discovered LSD, uh, made LSD available for psychiatric treatment and researchers all around the world. And subsequently, they made psilocybin, the active ingredient of magic mushrooms, available as a medicine, also in the 1950s. And there were, I think, about 40,000 patients were studied using largely LSD. And a 1,000 papers were published. And overall, the results were pretty positive. Is that a beautiful experience, would you say? <sighs> I would say yes. Describe it again. Oh, I don't know. You're doing fine. Just try to describe it. Yeah, what were the results showing at that time? Well, the, f the first thing to say is this was the first time we've ever had a medicine that changed the mind. It was before we had antidepressants, before we had antipsychotics. So there was it was a, a revolution in terms of psychiatry because we could actually make things change in the brain. Secondly, what did it show? Well, it showed remarkable efficacy in disorders like anxiety and depression and in addiction. In fact, there are six trials of um, LSD in alcoholism, just one or two doses as part of a abstinence-based um, course, and uh, they produce outcomes which are two to three times better than anything we've achieved since. But we've not been able to use LSD and alcoholism for the last 50 years because it was made illegal in 19, the late 1960s as part of the war on drugs by Nixon. By making this statement, which I think needs to be made to the nation, America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. Yeah, tell me, tell me more about that. It seems incredible that that all just sort of came to an end. Well, the, the big problem was the Vietnam War and the anti-war protest occurred about the same time as LSD began to move from the clinic into self-experimentation. And it had profound effects on many people. I mean, it changed art. We have a new form of art called psychedelia, which is sort of graphical representations of the inner experience of a psychedelic. We had different kinds of music. And uh, 
And then we have people starting to think, well, maybe the solution to international problems wasn't to to bomb Laos and Cambodia to pulp, but maybe actually to stop fighting wars. Anti-war demonstrators protest U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War in mass marches, rallies, and demonstrations. Central Park is the and that conflicted with the American approach to diplomacy. It conflicted with the Australians, of course, because you were fighting in Vietnam as well. This will be a worldwide offensive dealing with the problems of sources of supply as well as Americans who may be stationed abroad, wherever they are in the world. It will be government-wide pulling together... The uh, so he got banned as polit for political reasons, and it stayed banned ever since because it's it's very easy in under the UN conventions to get a drug banned, and it's very hard to undo that because people are terrified of sending the wrong message or even admitting they were wrong 50 years ago. So President Nixon, he sort of declared a war on drugs and that stopped in its tracks this medical research. So it was off the table for a really, really long time. It's the worst censorship of research, not just, mm. not just brain research or research in the history of the world. So we've got, we've got a f over 50-year ban researching a whole class of substances which were proven to be effective. Uh, it, is, it wasn't as if they just banned them for recreational use, which of course would have been probably yeah, unnecessary, but at least understandable. But they did something really much nastier. They decided to ban them from medical use as well. And the, the hatred that these drugs have produced in politicians is sort of, you know, we still have the reverberations today. There's a lot of politicians, if you say LSD to them, they immediately make the sign of the cross and, and tell you it's uh, evil incarnate, <laughs> which, you know, which is a mistake. Well, we are talking a lot more about them again now and I want to, let's get to that in a minute and what's actually happening, but I want you to now give me a sense of how these drugs work. Can you give me an example, a tangible example maybe, of someone that's used these to treat something like depression or PTSD, something like that? What happens? Well, yes, so the different processes for the two different disorders. So psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression and MDMA for treatment-resistant PTSD. And interestingly, they work in different ways. We've done a, a lot of work on psilocybin and treatment-resistant depression, and we've done brain imaging studies which show that essentially they make the brain more flexible. After the trip, people have a more flexible brain. They can think more co cogently, more coherently about thoughts which previously they got locked into. So depressed people get locked into thought loops which are repetitive and negative. And they, and they often they know they're not to blame, but they can't stop thinking that they are to blame. And psychedelics flip you out of that and they allow you to think differently. And, and our patients say this to us. It's like defragging the hard drive of your computer or, or reformatting the programs, their brain programs run more fluently. And we can actually image that. It's, it's kind of eerie that we can actually see a more flexible brain after the trip. What happens? What sort of dose is a patient given? We use a standard dose, 25 milligrams of psilocybin. Uh, one or two trips, usually most of the effect comes in the first trip, actually, uh, but the second trip might prolong the effect. And, and then people come out, people have a, an experience, which is generally pretty challenging because depressed people have got a lot of very negative thoughts in their mind. They've got often suffered traumas. They often, in the trip, go back to episodes in their life when they were traumatized. But they can reframe their attitude to them. I mean, one of our patients, for instance, said, during his trip, I, he said, I saw my father abusing me. And I was able to say to him, that's it. That's over. 
you know it, I know it, that's closure. He came out of the trip and he said, that's it, I've dealt with it, I've dealt with the problem. And um, he's been well for eight years now. Yeah. How many sessions did it take for him to... Oh, just one. Just one session? It's one trip. It's one trip. He had one trip and he's been well for eight years. Most people come out with much less depression than they went in. In fact, no one's ever come out more depressed. Mm. Most, many of them have had, you know, they've gone from being very depressed to not being depressed at all. And, and some of them have stayed well for years. For the majority, it's not that. For the majority, the depression creeps back. And I think there's a, probably a relationship with the longer you've been depressed or the deeper ingrained is your depression, the more severe, the harder it is to get rid of it. But but even in the people with severe depressions who failed on 10 different medicines, we can still get substantive improvements for weeks or months. And how do these sessions work? I mean, how are they controlled? Because this is, it's an illegal substance. Well, we're, I mean, what we're doing is research. So obviously mm. we have permission to do yes, it. Yes, so of course. I'm not talking about underground. I'm not talking, you know, our research is all done in, you know, the Hammersmith Hospital, one of the mm. biggest hospitals in the country. The way we do it is this, there are three stages to the treatment. The first stage is preparing the patient. That's about education, about talking through how what will happen if they have a bad trip and how we'll be there for them if necessary and getting permission to hold their hands, etc. And then the next day they have the experience it themselves. And we normally we have two therapists in the room. The experience goes on for about four or five hours. Um, the person listens to, has, listens to music through headphones. Can have, normally has eye shades so they can go into their inner thoughts. Um, uh, and then the next day, they come back and meet the therapists who are there in the room with them, uh, and they talk about the experiences, and we call that the integration session, when they, they begin to make sense of it and, and build on the knowledge and the insights that they gained during the trip. And that's why Australia's movement is so, so exciting, because now you've, you've got the option, you know, you can actually give it to people who failed on medicines without being in a trial, and that's much more cost-effective, and it, I suppose, you know, it's, it's a more humane way of doing it, because everyone's going to get the medicine. Our drugs regulator, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, it has approved these drugs for prescriptions. From the 1st of July, authorised psychiatrists will be allowed to prescribe MDMA. So they've done that before a lot of trials have been completed and, of course, that has caused concern. Well, we're only going ahead in Australia for two indications where the evidence is overwhelmingly positive. Treatment-resistant depression, several hundred patients now have been through different trials, my trials, Compass trials, Hopkins trials, and it works. With the PTSD um, trials, we've now got several hundred patients put through from MAPS, maybe maybe more like 400 patients who've done very well. What we don't have is a company selling the medicine to doctors, but what we do have is ability to get hold of it, and doctors can make a, a sensible decision as to whether they could want to use it in patients that meet the criteria. Criteria are quite strict. You've got to have failed on two other treatments, and you've got to have a doctor that's registered to prescribe it. But in those circumstances, I think the risks are very low, and the benefits for people who've got high suicide risks are, are really quite substantial. Mm, there is some concern that these drugs potentially could cause psychosis, and that perhaps some psychiatrists in Australia are not really trained well enough to use them. Well, these drugs don't cause psychosis. 
they give you a, 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 an episode which is a bit like psychosis, but they don't cause schizophrenia. They don't cause psychosis. If you've got a vulnerability to psychosis, then they might exacerbate it or bring it on. But we don't give it to people who've got either psychotic behaviours or have got first-degree relatives with psychosis. So we absolutely exclude the vulnerable people. You know, this is a medicine. You know, the doctors are going to do detailed assessments of the patients and they're not going to give it to people they shouldn't give it to. What do you think the impact of this decision in Australia will be in terms of the well-being of people with mental illnesses, but also for a society as a whole? Where where could we end up with this? Oh, I think psychedelics are the biggest advance in psychiatric treatment for 50 years. Psychedelics and MDMA do have the ability to treat the people who don't get well with conventional therapy. So for the first time, we've got two options, two ways of treating these disorders. If you take something like hypertension or cancer, you've only got four or five different medicines. In, in psychiatry, we've only really had one, the antidepressants. Now we've got the psychedelics too. I think that psychedelics definitely give hope to people who failed on traditional treatments. Professor David Nutt is from Imperial College London. From July, Australian doctors will be authorised to prescribe psilocybin for treatment of depression and MDMA to patients with post-traumatic stress disorder. The Royal Australian College of General Practitioners has responded cautiously, saying the authorisation was unexpected and the potential for misuse or mistreatment is significant. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield, Sydney Pede, Chris Dengate and Sam Dunn, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. I'm Sam Hawley. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.